The internet is full of wonderful discoveries, when you're not falling down a rabbit hole and landing in a puddle of conspiracy theories, that is. One of the greatest surprises I've found as a new podcaster in the deconstruction space is the people you meet because of it. My guest today is one of them. He reached out to chat about an episode I did with Abby Norman on parenting post-deconstruction, how this was a topic that resonated with him and his wife after they found themselves outside the structures of church. As we got chatting, I thought, I really have to interview this guy. Jordan's was a much kinder de-churching, and I'll be honest... I've heard some pretty horrendous stories in my time in the deconstruction space, um, not to mention my own. It's nice that some people can exit church in a relatively nice way. And I mean in a way that doesn't involve quasi-excommunication, character assassination, trauma, and in some cases, intimidation or threats of lawsuits. But I guess that means that not all churches are as toxic as others. Some are really nice, but it's still hard. It's still hard to look at your beliefs and to scrutinize them and to realize that church isn't really your wheelhouse anymore because that is something that is laden with meaning for your life, your lifestyle, and indeed your social structures. Look, there's a reason the tagline of this podcast is for when faith and spirituality is a heck yes, but church is a hell no. The truth is that church is just not for everyone, but that doesn't mean we can't pursue a practice of faith and spirituality that lines up with our ethic. When Jordan from Lost Things Band contacted me, I knew this would be an interesting chat. He's a musician and ex-worship pastor. He held on to his musical gift post-church by doing some really cool projects through his band. But the thing that strikes me about Jordan is his calm demeanor and his dedication to kindness and fairness. There's nothing vengeful about this man, and his story seems to be one of simply knowing where he was at, knowing what he wanted for his unborn child, and then stepping into the unknown so he could live out the kind of spiritual practice that wasn't bound by dogma. I like it. I hope you will too. I'm Kit Kennedy, and this is Unchurchable. Hello and welcome to Unchurchable. I'm Kit Kennedy and I'm here with Jordan White from Lost Things, the band, the podcast, the the everything. Hi, how are you, Jordan? Good, good. We're, we're starting an Etsy online store too. So if you want to buy collectibles, we'll get crazy. Oh, collectibles. Okay. Well, well let's start first things first because <laughs> I've never actually spoken to you. All I've yeah. seen is, oh, I like what you're doing on um, on the interwebs. You, you're in the deconstruction space. You're in the music mm. space, which I love. Um, mm. Yeah. Tell me a bit about yourself and your group and, and, you know, what you're up to. Yeah. Well, we're from Northern California in the States. Um, mm-hmm. We've been, Lost Things have been going on for a number of years. It's something that I started probably four or five years ago, and it was just a band at the time. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was on staff at a church uh, working and doing ministry life and that sort of thing. And uh, it was a fairly progressive church on the surface, I guess. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd call it truly progressive but on the surface it was pretty progressive yeah they let me work they let me work there so I mean that was progressive enough I guess for the area and the background (laughs) they came from um yeah it was a cool place because there was a lot of room for me to they gave me a lot of freedom to speak on things that I felt close to my heart um even even stuff that was a little bit outside of their box which was really cool and then uh, over time we slowly kind of worked our way out of there there wasn't really any big traumatic anything that got us out it was just kind of time for us to be done yeah um and that was a couple of months before um 
I, I resigned or stepped down or gave my resignation, I guess is the formal uh, term for it. Just a, a couple of weeks, probably before that very first lockdown quarantine that we had in the States. Um, and so I kind of helped them transition from like normal church world into wow. what was the new normal for a little while there. And then uh, we did that for probably about three or four months. And then we were out officially they let it they said you guys are good you guys can step away and uh, yeah. we had a baby in that time so it was like a weird like we were having a baby we have a baby that none of our friends have ever met because it would wow. like yeah before <laughs> quarantine going into it um and then yeah so the uh, lost things at that point basically we'd we i'd started a record probably two years ago maybe a little bit longer that just never got finished um, yeah. and then so throughout the course of quarantine we kind of finalized it and then put it out um, and that's pretty much the short version. <laughs> the short version. I love that. Yeah. Isn't it Isn't it interesting just watching the world change over the course of the last kind of year and a half and maybe this coming? I don't think we're through the woods yet. But <laughs> um, so prior to 2020, I think there was a lot of sort of dramatic exits from yeah. church and from ministry and then the whole COVID thing happened and lockdown yeah. happened and it was sort of an opportunity for some people to reassess where they felt right where they didn't feel a good fit and just kind of to quietly fade out the door yeah um it, it's it's an interesting time to make an exit isn't it and you've obviously when you say progressive on the surface and they let me speak so um, yeah. for those who are just listening to the audio you know, you're a guy with a beanie, a pair of glasses, and a black t-shirt on for the most <laughs> for the most part, and then I can see uh, a fair bit of body art there. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. There's some of that. Yeah, I think it's um that stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm in music circles, so I wouldn't yeah, consider that progressive, probably in the circles that I come from, or anybody just under like, the age of 35. Norm. Yeah, yeah, just it's, normal. It's yeah. very standard. The church that I was a part of, they came um, from an AG, which is Assemblies of God background. Uh -huh. They're tied yeah. in deep to, uh, I don't know if you know of Bethel and Reading. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughts <laughs> on that place. So they were a sister church of them at one point. Um, wow. They weren't when I was there. Uh, so that was long before I got there. But so they come from a pretty, um, I'd say progressive as far as like charismatic theology background, mm -hmm. but politics would be the same as just about any other, any other space in Christianity. They're all pretty conservative for the most part. And so there was a lot of room, honestly, for me to speak. Uh, I mean, image is one thing, but like my ideals and, and things that I believed and stuff that I felt to be important, they gave a lot of room for me yeah. to speak into that stuff. Um, and so it was a, it was a very, like I said, there was no like big mass exodus. We didn't have any issues when I left. We're still homies with a lot of yeah. the people that have been on staff there. They're really good friends of ours. Um, yeah. But in general, you're right. There, there has been a big shift over the last year. And I think a lot of it too with, I mean, you're obviously not in the States, but you see the ripple effect of some of the politics that have happened here over the last four to six years. Uh, so the, the Trump was, era, the, the great uh -huh. dumpster I've fire. Of of, yeah, you've yeah, heard of I've it. Heard, mm. I've heard. Yeah. Thoughts yeah. and prayers, thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. And we're, I mean, we're in California, so we're, we're kind of the progressive end of the spectrum as far yeah. as states go here. Um, but California is very large. It's bigger than most European countries. So, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty diverse space. So I think even when we say that, like, there were things that happened over the last last year where people were walking out it definitely feels like at least to somebody who's been in it for a long time a lot of this stuff was definitely happening below the surface but this yeah. last four years really brought that stuff to the forefront where people were more so forced to have to make decisions or interact with some things that were easy to kind of bypass for a long while 
Yeah, yeah, gosh, for sure. And there's so much in what you just said. So as, as far as things that were close to your heart, like what are we talking here? Are we talking social justice stuff or are we talking like, you know, Absolutely. what? yeah, yeah. Did you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, yeah. Social justice for sure has been one of the biggest ones. There's a million things that we could get into, whether oh, it's from yes. laws on abortion or accepting yeah. of LGBTQ community. Like yeah. there's a million things, but social justice has always been one of the biggest ones for me, even from a young age. I've just, mm-hmm. I think most people have this in them to a certain degree, but it's something that's really resonated for me. I don't, I don't function well. Like there's something cognitively inside of me when there's, when I feel like there is an misalignment of justice or fairness with anything, whether it be yeah. political, religious, or just in the ongoings in relationships with friends. Yes. And as a kid, it's never sat well with me, which I think is a great quality. And I think is a very biblical Christ-like thing to have inside of you to feel like justice should be something that is being served to the best degree, or at least trying to be followed. Um, And as I got older, it was interesting to watch where those rules were applied and where they were not applied or the things that we felt were things that we should speak on or shouldn't Mm -hmm. speak on. Um, And especially in the last, again, in the States, you're not here, but you've seen the ripple effect. I'm sure of some of the the George Floyd stuff that happens in the last calendar, a little bit longer than calendar year. Um, Yeah. uh, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, but Ahmaud Arbery, like there was a lot of stuff going on at the time. Um, And that's been one of the things. And I, I, again, the place that I worked at, they gave me room to speak into those things. It's tough. I don't, uh, were you in ministry? Did you, were you involved in pastoral ministry or anything like that? Uh, <laughs> I'm a pastor's kid. Um, cool. So cool. Uh, I'm a estranged pastor's kid. Um, right. I'm a musician. Right. I was from yeah. a church, though, that had about a core of probably 70 members, 50 of sure. which, about 50 sure. of which, I'm just making up the numbers now as an approximation, <laughs> were in quote, unquote, leadership. So it gotcha. was, mm, I mean. Okay, great. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, yes, yeah, so so you I understand. Then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you understand. I mean, there's a lot of stuff when even though that I was given room to speak into stuff, it's wild, man. In church mm. culture, it's it's very interesting what we will entertain as far as subject matter or content. Uh, but actually, like internalizing that stuff is very, very different. And so yes. I felt for a long time I was given the space to speak on things, which was great. And I appreciated and valued. But at a certain point, I was like, I don't know that this is actually doing anything. Like, yeah. I don't know if this is becoming for me. It felt like a bit of a, well, I'm just a cliche or token this person. So now we can feel good that we had that perspective. We don't got to yeah. do anything with it, but at least it's represented yeah. like in the same way that people of color used across the spectrum, whether it be in business or church or politics to, Mm -hmm. well, we've got this person on our team, so we can't be that thing. Or we've got this person, we let them talk, so we can't be sexist or whatever the case may be. Um, So it was a really interesting transition of shifting from, I do have the space, but I don't know if this is the space that I want necessarily. Yeah. And that's, that's a big kind of uh, thing to reconcile within yourself because, um, uh, like you know when you're saying kind of you know we've, we've got this person here so we're not racist or we've got this person here so we're not sexist sure. um uh, my friend my, my best friend kind of likes to call herself the token gay um because <laughs> you know she was she'd been through conversion practices and was you sure. know trying sure. very hard to be straight like really really hard um but Aren't we you all? know oh gosh <laughs> it was pretty 
bleedingly obvious that she wasn't. So she kind right. of like in hindsight, yeah. she calls herself, um, you know, the token gay. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like some churches kind of seek out these people that they can have to, to, to sort of justify themselves as as Absolutely. not a certain stereotype. And I'm not anti-church. I'm, I'm not anti-church. Sure. I'm anti-bad uh, theology. And I'm That's I'm anti discrimination, and I think yeah. the big, oh, and I'll I'll tell you this part of my part of my deconstruction started when I was um <laughs> I used to be a novelist, okay. and it was a form of escapism for me I think, and the first uh, like I've taken them both down off the internet, so you're not going to find these, yeah. um, but the first book which sold quite well, like it sold quite well, was a bit inspired by Frank Peretti. Oh, okay. Which I just cringe about a little bit. Oh, you know, the whole spiritual <laughs> thing and, oh, God, okay. yeah, I just, um, so that was, you know, and, this, and the second mm. one was Remnant Theology. Like it was literally called mm. The Remnant. And the the first book was great. And I, I felt comfortable writing that and, and kind of exploring some questions in that. But when it came time to write the sequel, all I could visualise was The freaking Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, mm. I don't like what I'm seeing when the church yeah. in its current form with its current fixation on political influence or on power yeah. or on protecting our position of privilege um, yeah. at the expense of those who are truly vulnerable and marginalised. Sure. And so I couldn't write the sequel because I was like, hmm. I, you know, I don't want to write The Handmaid's Tale. Like, Sure. And this is, this is, not, this is not speaking to me of a Christ-like manifestation of love and compassion and truth and justice sure on earth so um to hear you talk from an american perspective of you know the era that just was um you're talking about the fruits of dominionism really of, of you know very much so the church yeah. rallying behind donald trump and turning off prominent our... throughout australia as well or was uh, it... australia is kind of tiny cousin of America in a lot of ways. Our democracy yeah. is built off an English kind of system or mm -hmm. the Greco-Roman system or whatnot. We're under the Queen, Queen Lizzie, but, you know, there's mm -hmm. very much we've got the centre left-wing politics, which is kind of the Labour, Greens yeah. party, and we've got the centre right-wing politics, which is kind of the Liberal National Party. Um okay. Uh, yeah, centre right, and but but you know it's all games and factions and, and all that kind of stuff. And when you've been inside the machine, you kind of which I have, um, yeah. you kind yeah. of just roll your eyes and go, "Yep, this is just all marketing, isn't it?" But sure, is it pretty split down the middle? What you would say, or is it is it lean one direction where you are? Um, in because I live in Melbourne, um, okay. best city in the world, I maintain, even during right. lockdown. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Whatever, I've got Los Angeles." Um, <laughs> We, we're not fans of Los Angeles. It's fine. That's all right. <laughs> Melbourne, best coffee in the world. Um, and that's Melbourne, all that really Melbourne. counts. All, all that really counts. I'm, I'm about it. Um, in the city, in, in the kind of, uh, yeah, metropolitan areas, it's largely uh, sure. left-leaning and out in the country sure. we see the more conservative. Um, sure. Yeah. It's, it's probably not unlike America in a lot of ways. Very similar. Yeah, very similar. Um, but our news was just peppered with, yeah. um you know american politics uh constantly. i believe it mm. it was exciting stuff it's easy to click on someone's got to talk about it you know <sighs> yeah i feel like i feel like donald trump though 
in the beginning, I think comedians would have rubbed their hands together and gone, oh, this is going to be great. And in the end, they're like, can you stop and give us something to actually try to write? Like, (laughs) Yeah, that definitely became the thing. I don't know if you're big on stand-up, but, oh, that's right, you do some stand-up. Yeah, I do, I do. I've done two gigs. I need to do more. But, yes, I'm 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 a a rookie, but I'm out there. (laughs) I'm quite quite the connoisseur of stand-up. It's something that I really enjoy. But, yeah, that's you're exactly right. That was 100% the trajectory. It was, like, a huge up-ramp and people excited about it. And within the last couple of years, it became hacky and tropey to do yeah. Donald Trump jokes to a certain degree. Everybody's yeah. like, well, we've at this point, you don't even have to make anything up. You just, just go with just the headline. Read the headline. Joke in itself. Yeah, yeah, just read 100%. the headline. So, so what was that like for you, kind of living in at, you know, at, you know, ground zero, I suppose, watching this all play out and being oh. in a church that's sort of or a movement that's sort of heavily influenced by that neo-charismatic dominionism, seven mountain mandate thing. What was that like for you? Dude, it it was. Are we allowed to say the bad words on this? You can say all the bad words. Okay, cool. Dude, it was fucking wild. It's (laughs) and it still is, man. Like it's just nuts. This is so interesting to me. I've never really subscribed to I I don't understand this tribalistic mentality. I mean, I know to a certain degree we all have that within us and in our DNA and our genetic coding Mm. to be tribalistic, but to the degree that it's been displayed over the last couple of years, especially from people that like you've known and you've like done life with and journeyed with to watch them yeah. for whatever reason something in their core be triggered to the point that says i have to abandon the 98 percent of this that i know to be true or have said to be true over the course of my life for mm. this two percent and a lot of it's fear-based i would imagine for most yeah. people i can't really speak directly to what the thing is that causes each individual to be triggered in that way but this fear-based mentality that is so so easily guided and directed into whatever direction the narrative is being spun to get people's votes supports clicks whatever the thing is and uh it's just it's it's so interesting that we've talked in at least for me in the circles of theology that i grew up in we constantly talk about the the renewing of a mind and that type of thing and watching romans 12 1 to 2 don't we know that (laughs) that's it man like just some of these really core basic principles be completely left to the wayside in the midst of this just this cultural chaos that happened over the last couple of years I and mean, it was really I think the only word to describe it for me was really disheartening to watch yeah. people that you know and love who are I think this is what gets lost the most is I don't find all Trump supporters or all anybody I don't find but I don't find all conservative or Trump supporters to be dumb people I don't no. find them to all be malicious people I don't find them all to be degenerates i don't i don't i don't think those things about them these are people that i know and i trust and i love and i've had life and relationship with and to watch them be so easily manipulated by fear and and you see and this is the part that i always get caught up on like you see this exact same stuff with left-leaning politics and theology as well we as people are just so quickly led to whatever the thing that is the scariest for us to go that direction or be yeah. detoured from that direction. So it's just, it's unfortunate to, I've never really understood, I guess, the, I didn't grow up in a very political household. We didn't have, I, I mean, I guess I knew my parents were Republican to some degree, but we didn't talk politics in the house much. We didn't yeah. have that. So I don't have that grid of dad was a this. And so that's what I am. Sort yeah. of thing. So it's, it's hereditary politics. Yeah. It runs deep, man. It runs yeah. deep for people. Yeah. So, so along those lines, what kind of theology were you sort of raised with? Wow. 
that's a deep question. So I, <laughs> I went to, I, I was in one church my whole life until I was 25 years old or 24 years old in that ballpark. Um, mm-hmm. And they were much more of a, I would say conservative theology to some degree. Um, we very much, it, they were an interesting place and I, I'm still very close with them and they're I think that's probably where the majority of my good theology came from. Because uh, some of it is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, we were very, it was a very equality driven place. We had women who would speak from the pulpit as a mm-hmm. child. I grew up around very strong women. Uh, that yeah. wasn't something that was completely foreign to me whatsoever. Um, but a generally standard conservative evangelical theology for the most part. Um, a lot of uh, Piper at one time, John Piper was a big influence in that world. Um, oh, bless. Other names off. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> that they would subscribe to some of those same dudes, um, but even in that place, like yeah. we, I, I had two main pastors, my youth pastor growing up and then our senior pastor growing up. One was very heavily Armenian and another one was very heavily Calvinist. So there was this right. weird tension of like, yeah, it's where they would share the pulpit one week and one week back and forth. And that was kind of the standard. So it was, it was normal for me, even within a somewhat conservative theology to see opposing viewpoints of things and watch them live in tension together, which is not normal for most people. Um, But I think one of the things that I took from there that I didn't realize when I first um, moved to a new church was um, there are within charismatic theology, which would be kind of where I ended up later in this church that I'd most recently come off of staff from Mm. um, versus more conservative theology. There's a very different vantage point of the way that we view God and the Trinity um, and where a more conservative background is going to look at God is like way over there. He's this like beautiful, untouchable creature who Mm -hmm. we're lucky to get any of his attention in any way because we're disgusting um, human beings, that, that kind of side of things. Whereas when I came into a more charismatic, um, culture it was the very opposite like he's your bro like he's your home yeah he's your friend there's a relational aspect um yeah so i really kind of and i and and for me i really resonated with that to a certain degree when i first got there because i'd never really experienced that before like god was that untouchable we don't get to like look him in the face kind of thing like he's the superstar whatever you want i don't know how you want to describe it it's different for everybody but that whole thing and then coming into a theology where it was like nope this guy like wants to be your friend and he cares about the things that happen in your day-to-day life that was very new Mm. to me yeah um but then but then quickly realizing years later there really is a balance in a lot of the stuff to lean one direction or the other is to miss out on some of the multifacetedness theologically of who god is who jesus is who holy spirit is that type of stuff um so i I guess i find myself kind of somewhere in the middle at this point. And, and, and I like when you said, look, at, you said something about looking something in the face, just as I tried so hard to drink this glass of water quietly that I spilled <laughs> it all down one side of my face. So love thank it, you for it. not just outwardly mocking me when that <laughs> happened. Um, it's interesting when you, when you speak about the tension, um, you know, we know Calvinism is quite a, well, not popular, but a familiar line of thinking to a lot of people yep. because because it yep. lends itself so easily to the Billy Graham type um, sure. evangelism, total depravity, unlimited atonement, you know. Um, you know so if words. you can preach you know words. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm a nerd. You know I'm a it. nerd. <laughs> Don't ask me for the lip part of the TULIP acronym, but, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was very much, it, it's an extreme gospel um, because in order to engage with it, you have to accept that you are disgusting, you are shameful, you are, yeah. you know, and then yeah. 
then I don't know much about the um, the other type that, that you mentioned. So to have those two things in, in you know, <laughs> preached from Different. the same, yeah, like run me through the other, was it Armin, Armenian? Armenian. Um, yeah. Run me through deal- that kind of idea. You know, I, I couldn't really speak directly to all of the principles and points of it, but yeah. it would be more of a, your Calvinist is going to be your five point, all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then Arminian is going to, if I could be long, but they'd have more of a leaning towards predestination and that type right. of stuff. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the general overview. Yeah. Uh, but the, and I think too, I, I was much younger when I was there. And so I think my ear for theology probably wasn't developed the same, you know, because I was in one church my whole life, I got very comfortable with a specific and particular presentation of the gospel. Yeah. And that was like all I had gauge for. And I think too, to the credit of the place that I came from, I didn't realize how quality of a presentation yeah it was a very small church i think at max growing up i think we were 75 80 yeah. people it was a very small church um and i just we were a little bit uh there was a i don't know how to explain it we didn't we didn't travel to other churches much i didn't go out to other churches yeah. mostly because we're a church of 70 people so like yep. everybody's kind of got to be there to make it happen to get it done. <laughs> there was no big like no smoke and mirrors there was no light show there was no yeah. that stuff it was like all the lights on it was like a walgreens yeah there's no hide and nothing yeah um, yes gosh so that, when that's i begin to familiar it's to got me. its pros it's got its cons mm. um but there was no um i didn't really understand that i had a pretty sound theological upbringing as far as like the understanding of like didactic breakdown of scripture and i didn't realize that that wasn't normal other places and so i'd had that from a very young age and then as a young 20s going to other places and being like yo you guys don't know this stuff like you don't have any like basis in anything foundational for anything now that's not to say that where i came from was 100 perfect and and their understanding was applied appropriately Mm -hmm. in all ways because people don't have that ability all the time but um it was it was very that was where the culture shock really came for me i didn't know that it was weird to have two different perspectives from a pulpit regularly it was weird when i went into other places to not have any foundation in the perspectives that were being presented whether they were polarizing or right. symmetrical yeah now that is so interesting because i think we're, we're used to extremes and we're used to othering people yep. are going mm. we hold the truth they don't it's us and them totally. it's this kind of constant feeling of let's bed down in our rightness and let's understand their wrongness and not holding tension between two opposing points of view, which essentially I think is the art of good debate. And it's, you know, if you can see both or if you can see multiple kind of um, sides to a story, you you can get to the heart of the issue and make an informed kind of decision around what you choose to believe or how you choose to practice. But it is an exceedingly rare thing to have, you know, have good sound theology, especially... And this is my, this is my, I think it's my great kind of um, criticism of modern church is that we don't know what we believe. Um, sure. We immerse ourselves in a culture that is so vibrant and it is mm. so community, you know, strong in community. And a lot of this stuff can be really good. And behind it, we might not actually know what the theology is or we might not know the weak points in one strain of theology or we might not know that there's another way to see things. And it can be quite um, daunting to walk away from a church that has told you all your life or for a large chunk of your life that you've invested heart and soul in um, 
and then wrestle with now I'm one of the others. What does this mean mm. for me? Um, sure. So, and like I said at the beginning of the interview, a lot of people prior, you know, pre-pandemic, um, BC is now before COVID, I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> that splits that. time fine. now. <laughs> Um, so you know in the in the years bc there was a lot of kind of people who walked away from church may have done so in a great big kind of you know there there was noticed it was maybe a conflict or something like that um you've walked away in a kind of a beautiful fade out um which i'm sure is full of its own pain and its own you know different things yeah. and i and i do note that again that you've had a child and that was absolutely one of the catalysts for for my then husband yeah. and i to to um to walk away from the church that uh that i'd grown up in that my dad runs um what has that been like for you in terms of holding on to some things mm. like have you been able to hold on to faith have mm. you been able to hold on to music which I, is, is a leading question because i know the answer yeah. but <laughs> Talk me through what's that been like for you? Um, Man, it's yeah. been it's it's been crazy because uh, my wife and I are close because we're married and we like each other, so that's helpful. That's but nice. we definitely, it's, I mean, not everybody's got that luxury, I suppose. From what I've heard, especially on the after COVID, <laughs> I heard that was a, a tension for some folks. We um, we definitely don't see eye to eye on everything, but we mm-hmm. do things together. We, we co-pastored to a certain degree. I mean, wow. we were worship pastors was our technical title mm-hmm. and uh, we led worship together for the, the major, all of our marriage up until recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we experienced a lot of stuff together and her upbringing and my upbringing were very similar, very right. similar. Um, and then things changed as I got older and she, my wife is a bit of a creature of habit. So, um, leaving church for her, having been in church every Sunday since pre womb and out of the womb was like a weird deal for her at first. Um, but, but I think it's been, it's been tough, man. Mostly that it didn't really end the, I think this is everybody's COVID story right now. Like it Mm. didn't really end the way that we had hoped, not necessarily in anything ended, but like we spent the majority of a decade and all of our years as a married couple in relationship with people, our, our worship team, for example, our yeah. worship band, whatever, whatever you call them, we yeah. played with these guys week in and week out for hours a yeah. week and spent lots of time with them. And due to COVID and us transitioning after COVID and all this stuff, we didn't have a last, this is the last time we're going to do this. We didn't have a, yes, like uh, there was no closure. It was like, yeah we still had it and we got to talk to those people and we've had conversations with them and seen some of them since then, but it wasn't yeah. the same as the, the ongoing thing was like, I wish I would have known this was the last time we were going to do this, or I mm-hmm. wish we would have been able to have it in our brain that there's going to be an end to this season. Um, and that was really hard. It just in, in not necessarily that anything would have been different, but there yeah. would have just been maybe a mental or an emotional box that at least got to be checked a little bit. So yeah. We got to say goodbye. We got to say we're done in this way. And then kids were a weird one too. Like it's been yeah. an interesting, like I've wanted out of church, the culture, not the ideology, but out of church for a really long time. Yeah. Like even in it. And this is, again, I got to say these things from the pulpit. I, I got to say, this isn't my bag. Like, I don't want it. This isn't what I do. This isn't yeah. the way I resonate, but I'm just in this season for whatever reason, we're all here together. And everybody was really understanding of it, which I guess is probably not normal for most people <laughs> in pastoral positions to be like, no, that is not really like this job. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't dig this job. Just being like, we don't make any money and it's really hard. And like, we'd rather be doing anything else on a Sunday. Um, but mm. it, that's what it was. And so for me, I wanted out for a long time. So the transition out was a little bit different for me than it was for my wife. I've, yeah. I've never, I've never felt better in some ways and I've never felt more confused in other ways, just yeah. in the simple, like uh, most people, the reason that they stay in church, even beyond, like, I mean, we have, I have a lot of friends in the LGBT community and, and watching them endure a lifestyle that denies every ounce of who they are as an individual, but staying in it because the community is so strong and not right. wanting to lose that family and community is insane to think about. Like if you were a part of any community where they denied every facet of who you believe to be, you are, but you stayed because the friendships were so strong and the community was so strong. Like that's some really polarizing stuff. So to have some of those, again, I don't understand that to the same level that somebody in that, in those shoes would. But for yeah. me, even I, I got a lot of my community and even my musical upbringing in church environments and youth groups. And some of my best friends that I know to this day, I've known since we were little kids and we were yeah. in each other's weddings and we're close to think that, where are my children going to get those friendships in that community now that it's not there is really weird. We had a baby. Uh, we have two, two children. One is three and the other one is going to be one years old in like eight mm -hmm. hours, which is crazy um, <laughs> but to, to go through a pregnancy, childbirth, first year of life in a community. And then to experience having a baby being pregnant, birthing the baby first year of life with zero community is a real shocker to be like, yo, yes. this is way different, yes. way different. So yeah. those types of things. I'm like, we have a child who I've been, I've been in church almost every Sunday, my whole life. Mm -hmm. I have a child who has never experienced a church service in his life and very possibly might not for a very long time. Those are weird feelings to navigate. And still yeah. Trying to do with some of them. Um, and I'm trying not to kind of drop my story in this too much because we're about to do an interview week, but you quiz yeah. me, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but my ex-husband is gay. That's why we split up. Wow. And, um, he is heroic in my mind because he, mm. we journeyed together through him recovering from conversion practices. And we, wow. we say conversion practices because they're broad. They're not just conversion therapy, like doing a course. It's also in the pastoral counseling. Yep. It's also yep. in those, you know, deliverance sessions. Let's cast out yep. the spirit of homosexuality. It's also in that Get kind of, <laughs> yeah, all of that. And yep. the internalized homophobia when you are, raised in that kind of welcoming yep. but not affirming oh, community yeah. you're just loaded you are loaded with this feeling of hide yourself be someone yeah. else so that you can hold on to this beautiful community of unconditionally loving people wow. and i say unconditionally loving with the air quotes because you know yeah Straight it's up. yeah so Straight it's up. messed up man so he's actually just him and another dear friend of mine and and a group of um LGBTQ people of faith, because yes, they exist. They've they just do. succeeded in getting conversion practices yeah. banned in the state of Victoria. Um, wow. And I'm so, so proud of them. But wow. man, they have had to face up with some demons to like, Crazy. and I use that metaphorically, not literally, because <laughs> sure. the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta but, clarify. <laughs> yeah. They've had to yeah. face some serious trauma 
in protecting other people from going through that damage because my belief is church shouldn't be a place where you are gifted with PTSD or CPTSD or suicidal ideation because, you know, you believe that God created you and God's perfect but God made you an abomination destined for hell. Like, fuck, man, that's messed up. So it's, it's, yeah, it is. And so we, it was the day I found out I was pregnant with um, our son Henry that things came undone for us. And we did Mm. go to another church for a few um, years until COVID um, and we moved to Melbourne, just kind of start a fresh life. Um, But, man, when you have children, you start to go, do I want my kids raised under this? That's a moment, isn't it? Yeah, dude, and that's one of the things that really, like, I wasn't so necessarily like i'm i'm same way i'm not really anti-church i wouldn't say i don't know that i'm I'm anti a whole lot of things in theory Uh, i've what really started to hit for me is we live in a pretty conservative area we live in a very i wouldn't say uh the uh, whatever the word opposite of diverse is we're not very (laughs) we're not in a very diverse area Um, homogenous that was let's go with that there's the word there's the one that's this big right books (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) yeah that's very much what we are and that was the most concerning for me and you you talked about a little while ago it's interesting like that we that the idea of a good debate and a way to get to a sound understanding of any situation would be differing opinions and different vantage points different viewpoints and even to take it back to scripture like it's just such an easy thing to clearly overlooked but i don't know how like we talk about a multitude of counsel being a wise way to process through things and there's such a differentiation between multitude counsel and a diverse counsel yeah diversity of ethnicity or diversity of lifestyles does not necessarily create a diversity of opinion there's a very big difference with those things and it's wild to me that people are able to say well we have an african-american person on staff we have a very diverse staff you can have 45 people of color on staff with you and it does not mean that you have a diverse church staff it does not mean that you have a diverse board for your business it just means that you have people who look slightly different and it's just wild that we go through life not willing to make space for those types of things and and so we grew up me and my family we were very poor growing up not that we're crushing it now but like we're a little bit more okay (laughs) and so being um in a family and community that didn't have a ton of money, we found ourselves in very diverse areas um, with lots of people from lots of different cultural backgrounds and lots of different life stories and experiences. And it really, even from a very young age, shifted the way that I looked at the world. And I, and, and just in short, like I became, I wouldn't say depressed, but a little bit overwhelmed at the idea of my son is not going to, we only had one at the time, my son, Mm -hmm. and now my sons are not going to get to have that rich, diverse understanding of what the world looks like from other people's perspectives. That was a bigger problem to me than bad theology, because I can navigate bad theology with my children because I actually want to have conversations with them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can do that. I can't shape their life experiences and the people that they're around. And I, and that yeah. was really the biggest thing for me. Once we had kids, I, I'm just looking around and realizing everybody here looks the same. Everybody here sounds the same. That's yeah. a problem for me. This is the quickest way to make bad decisions and have bad understandings of the world is for everyone to look and sound the same. Yeah. So that was a real catalyst for me mentally kind of shifting in that direction. That is a really interesting point you raise because conformity is 
somewhat natural to our tribal totally. experience. Like totally. um, I look back through my photos of, of growing up and and this is this is embarrassing. Okay. I was homeschooled. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of influences when it came to fashion. So there was a stage at which purity culture may, you know, we couldn't <laughs> wear spaghetti straps, but what we could do was just pop a t-shirt underneath it and the spaghetti strap singlet over the top. <laughs> and, you know, everyone was doing that. Yep. We just had his and yeah. parasilk tracksuits, man. And that was yeah. like, one of us did it and we all did it. And like, yeah. Uh, yeah. we were clearly identifiable, I think, in the community just by totally. the pervasive raglan sleeve t-shirt with the the singlet over the top of it or you know totally. the, the um and then I, I i used to kind of joke around when we moved when we first kind of were disfellowshipped i suppose you'd say from dad's church and we moved to another church in town that was a little um well, very different polar opposite to dad's church in a lot sure. of ways everyone had house plants and um i i <laughs> never kept one alive and and they carried baskets <laughs> and now i've got like i've just got so so many house plants and and yeah. baskets i'm like you've gifted yeah. this to me and yeah. and now that i've moved away and i've found another group of friends again i find myself picking up parts of them and as i study because i'm studying psychology at the moment doing my postgrad you learn how natural it is to conform so therefore it's not so much a question of who you're conforming to, but how intentionally you've chosen your crowd yeah. and how cognizant you are of, of, of what you're surrounding yourself with, you know, like, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as a parent, that's something I, you know, I think about. <laughs> yeah, man. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wasn't, yeah. And the topic of church is a real difficult one. Cause like, I don't want to put my kids in a church where they're even going to be slightly indoctrinated against their dad. Um, sure. you know, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's a huge thing for, for us. Cause we are still a family, even though we're separated, but, um, yeah. So look, we've got about 20 minutes left on this interview and I wanted to talk about something that I think is going to be an issue for a lot of my, uh, the unchurchable listeners and probably a lot of the lost things listeners as well. And that's the mm. area of music. Um, I'll preface mm. this by saying as a newly single woman, I was out on a, I was out, this story probably belongs on the Bad Dates of Melbourne Facebook page, if we're honest, but <laughs> I, you know, I thought to myself, because I'm, I'm 38, I'm, I'm in my prime, and I thought to myself, yeah. you know, Work. maybe I could, maybe I could date like an older dude, maybe I could date yeah. like a, yeah, you know, someone with a bit of money, a bit of grey hair, who cares? Now so I, you know, yeah, sugar daddy, come at me. Sil anyway. Silver fox. <laughs> Yes, that's a better word. Silver fox, not sugar daddy. I don't know sugar daddy. <laughs> anyway. <Connotation's> wild. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I matched with this guy on a dating app. We agreed, agreed to meet for brunch. Um, so and like Christian Mingle? No. No, straight up. <laughs> tinder because like everyone has tinder and something else so just cut the middleman just have tinder write yourself a good bio say you're looking for long term it's that's you it. know that's it so i met this guy for breakfast at what turned out to be this really grungy cafe and he was a lovely guy but he spoke so slowly just so so slowly and as mm. he was speaking so so slowly but i still couldn't get a word in <laughs> i realized Impressive. this guy what he needed in life was a therapist and not a girlfriend sure. you know That's that a thing. yep That's and a i thing. was i was <laughs> oh so so much and you know i think everyone needs a therapist cuz life is complicated sure. But this Absolutely. was bleedingly obvious. And, <laughs> and in walks, and I, I like I'm trying to find a way to end this state. 
And mm-hmm. in walks somebody I have not sat down with and had a good conversation for in around 17 years. Oh, wow. And it was a childhood friend of mine. In fact, the little brother of my best friend in childhood. Oh. And he, the last time I'd had a good conversation with him was when we were stuck in the car driving back from an outback mission, which is like two days drive. And it was like this kid in the car and like maybe three of us trying to convince him not to leave the church. And it was just horrendous. And I will say straight up, I think abusive that conversation. Mm. And I, I've dreaded not knowing how to stand up to, to, you know, for him in that moment ever since, but there he was and he walked into the cafe and I Hmm. lost my bearings completely. And this guy ended up going, are you okay? And I'm like, no, this has just happened. He's just walked in. (laughs) And so this, this gentleman who needs therapist paid for breakfast and left and I moved tables. (laughs) (laughs) And And the first thing that my childhood friend said to me when he realized that I was no longer going to church, that my husband and I had separated, that we were living down here in Melbourne and not this tiny town we came from was did you lose music and Mm. I said yeah yeah I did and he said what does that mean mean? to me and to a couple of other people I've spoken to his older sister for one very talented musicians um, may have spent um, and obviously I'm not speaking for myself, very talented musician. Sure. I'm just going to back. No, no, like I sure can sing, like I can play keyboard, you know, um, but a lot of people can do that. Um, mm-hmm. We served on worship teams. We gave sure. our heart and soul. We were there sure. in that, you know, that Bethel-style breakthrough worship that can go for very hours. Much. You get lost in it. You do your very magic much. there on the keyboard. And then yeah. when you find yourself on the outside of church and somebody goes, sing a song, you go, oh, I can't, I can't. Yeah, I can't do it. Um, yeah. It's too emotive. It's too, you sit down at the piano yeah. and your fingers touch the keys and then there's this flood of memories and it's too emotional to engage wow. with. So you stand up and walk away. Wow. Yeah. So I've, I've spoken to a few people that have felt that way mm. when they've lost church, that they've also lost music. You, however, seem to have managed to hold on to it. Talk yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah i think i'm a bit of an anomaly in this i wish my wife was talking here she'd have more to say about this than i do i mean i've got plenty to say i've never a shortage of words but <laughs> for me it was a little different i i i grew up playing and most of the people that i play music mm. with some of the guys in the band that i'm in none, none of them are christian whatsoever mm. at this point um but <laughs> they cut their teeth to some degree in church mm. um, playing music there and at least where I'm at geographically, that's kind of the standard. Like some of the guys who are like heavy hitters in like mainstream circles of Mm. this is the dude that you call for this gig. This is the guy that you want to be your MD. This is the guy you want on drums. This is the guy you want to miss. They're all dudes that we grew up playing in church together. Um, Mm. And it's, it's just, it's really honestly, like, I think a lot of it comes down to just the era was a little bit different. I think, I don't know that kids are playing music to the same degree that they were when I was younger. Uh, we didn't have these cool Fortnite video games or whatever. Like there was <laughs> the technology wasn't there. So it was like, I hope you can either play football or bass. Like those yeah. are two options. <laughs> Otherwise you got to do something weird. So I think there was just a lot more people doing it in a, yeah. especially in a small church too. It's fairly, at least where I was competitive. There's a lot yeah. of 
there's a lot of drummers, there's a lot of guitarists, and there's only mm-hmm. so much playing time. And so people were really competitive. And so like, it was just a great place to fine tune your foundational skills. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong. Found, uh, competition can be a little bit intimidating in some spaces, but in a lot of ways, it really breeds a lot of creativity and a lot of excellence. Excellence is a great way to describe mm. it. Yeah. And so for me, I, I grew up playing in church, but I also grew up loving the like late nineties, early two thousands, um, like subculture within Christian music that was really quickly meshing with subcultures of mainstream music. Um, yeah. There was a record label called tooth and nail yeah. that was really, really popular, still is fairly popular, but the biggest bands emerging, not just from the Christian underground, but in the underground market as a whole, I don't know if it ever came to Australia, but the, uh, like the warp tour scene of things. Um, your is it just a large festival that traveled all throughout the states every summer, and it would have oh, like fifty wow. to sixty bands on it, and it would stop in every city in the country, and tens of thousands of kids would show up every summer wow. for like 30, 20 years. I want to say they just they just stopped it in the last five six years. But um, while that was happening, they were like they were uh, post hardcore bands, punk rock yeah. bands, like that scene of stuff was really popping off, and somehow like. Christian kids were getting intermixed into that. And like some of the biggest bands in that mainstream punk rock scene were Christian bands doing the same thing, but with just different lyrical content Mm. to some degree. Um, And so I was really fortunate to be in a space where even though there was a lot of my foundation being in Christian music and worship music, specifically in church, there was a a pretty heavy crossover of playing music outside of church. And that was a real tension for a long time for me as a young person, the, the encouragement of well-meaning adult figures or leaders trying to keep us out of the world in it but not of it sort of stuff like it was just real and then they meant well I never again I've never had any like real traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. but like I had a real heavy crossover and so for me like in the last eight years of leading worship I was pretty vocal about it like I don't this is not my bag. I do not enjoy doing this. I have a skill set to do it because I, I do understand the culture. I do yeah. understand the ebbs and flows of it. And um, I, I do it. And my wife was a brilliant worship leader. Like it's, it's yeah. she's the opposite of me. Like it's in her DNA to lead people places musically in corporate yeah. times of worship. And she was great at it. Um, and so her process of leaving that and not having that anymore was, it has been very, very different for me. Whereas me, yeah. I've never felt more free to be able to do the actual type of music that I want to do. I still was able to do it at the time. Um, and was doing them in tandem to a certain degree yeah. but now that I've been given more space to focus on what we're doing now. And the, the funny part of it is that I'm realizing is I probably was better at it than I realized. I think there's a, mm-hmm. a, a as you being somebody who, um, was involved in worship and especially that more charismatic, I would say, or involved emotionally style of worship. That was a big influence for us. What you're really doing is to not get super like spiritual woo on it like you're you're really reading energy in a room like you're oh, reading yeah. where are people at what are people feeling what are people seeing what are they hearing like just being very cognizant of the yeah the sense the the senses around you that aren't always visible you know what i mean you're being very oh, intuitive yeah. with large groups of people and so i was able to hone those skills and i didn't realize so much as when we first went on tour with lost things for the first time is i'm taking these same skill sets and i'm applying mm. them to what we're doing here i'm still reading a room i'm still yeah. feeling what people are feeling and sensing where where is this group of people at where are they at in their day what do they want to hear what do they not have the ability to hear right now and and lost things is interesting you maybe we'll make it to melbourne someday and you can experience it in <laughs> yes. person but uh it's a i don't know how the other guys would describe it but i would say that it's a very um 
spiritual experience to some mm. degree. Um, just in the in the subject matter that we're discussing is very core to a lot of people. And so when some of these things are touched on, especially when we're talking about people who have experienced trauma or people who yeah. have experienced uh, a culture of people or a community of people who have denied their personhood for the entirety of their lives to come into contact with a group of people who are not only speaking to that, but also speaking life into the personhood and yeah. speaking life into identity is really emotional for people. I would say, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than that. And so for me, I don't really felt like I didn't really lose anything. I think for me, it was very much a, a breeding ground to learn how to hone those skills and use them in a way that felt more conducive to who I actually was. That was a sweet, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. Well done. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Sorry, wait, you, you, you were learning. Uh, so you've seen it as a learning opportunity, a way to really hone um, yeah I, yeah and kind of take away from church something that is able to build your yep. yeah, yeah yeah that's that's beautiful yeah have you kind of witnessed I suppose I'm asking a question that I should be asking your wife a, a little bit of grief about um well I'm never gonna do this again I'm never gonna mm. um mm. A, a little bit. I think for me, the idea of like where I just said I learned a lot, I had skills that I was able to hone and grow in over that time. I didn't get to experience that or understand that while I was doing it. I was a very yeah. um, hard headed, bitter person during the process, really? unfortunately. And I really came to coming to on the other side of it and being like, my wife loves doing this. Yeah. We did it together. How beautiful. We got to have that season together. And I was a piece of shit husband the whole time, like not <laughs> recognizing this is not something that everybody gets to do. Nice. Like whether you enjoy worship at this point or value it for what it is or was at this point, like it's hard to deny that there is a real emotional connection that comes. I mean, that's what a lot of people use to manipulate people in those scenarios mm -hmm. is the emotions that are happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Be, that wasn't obviously the case for us, but I mean, there's still a real emotional, <laughs> spiritual component that comes along with this. And in that time, I was really just like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Like, I hate this. I don't want to be here and not being mature enough to recognize, like, you cannot enjoy the season you're in or not enjoy where you're at or not even want to be there, but still be able to be mature enough to look around and see that there still can be positives and beauty in the midst of those things. Yeah. And so I think the grief for me has not so much been losing that element of it. The grief for me is looking back and where hindsight's 2020 is like, man, I should have stewarded this better, not on a spiritual level or a Christian level, but just as a husband, as a human yeah. being, there were people in our lives that I don't think I valued them to the degree that I wish I would have. I mean, I know mm. I valued them, but not to the degree that I should have, Yeah. Um, or maybe I just just wasn't verbal about it. And, and those are, those aren't things you can get back, unfortunately. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me. It's not been a grief necessarily of losing music. It's more so of losing the time that I didn't realize had more value than I had actually assigned to it in that season. Yeah. Yeah. Can relate. Hey, it's, um, it's interesting because I think part of deconstruction, um, uh, honestly, I think it's a five stages of grief kind of thing. I, and I think, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go in a linear kind of way. It, it happens in ebbs and flows and it, there's peaks and mm. troughs and there's periods of really intense grief and there's this 
periods where you're like, no, I'm okay with this and I'm, I'm doing well with life. And, you know, one of those things is anger and yeah. um, I, I don't want to stay in the anger stage of deconstruction forever. I want to be able to sit and go, actually, this is, you know, these are the good times that happened um, and it is possible for, for good memories to happen um, within, a, a, you know, a place that, that may later reveal itself to be toxic for a person or toxic in general. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, good things can happen in bad places, bad things can happen in good places, and life is complex and there's this tension and this nuance in it yes. all. Um, but, but, yeah, I sometimes, like I remember because um, my husband and I lived together for, a year after we broke up because um, mm. there's a very strong Will and Grace vibe between us. Um, I still is. absolutely adore that reference. That is one of my favorite <laughs> shows in history. I was beyond excited when Hulu brought it to the rotation. <laughs> um, but yes, it's, it's a very strong. We I, I like to say that we're the sequel that didn't happen and that's the one where Will and Grace <laughs> raised kids together. But um, I'd watch that. <laughs> but it, it was like like he was um he'd put on this music by some guy named Tyler Tyler someone Tyler White maybe I don't know I can't remember I'll find the mm. reference but it was about yes. this this guy who was gay and came out and left his family like left his marriage and it mm. was an, an album that was created in the height of that emotion and that grief and processing mm. all of that and he's just like listen to it it's just He's like, I just listened to it in the car and just cried. And I was like, no, I have the emotional mm. capacity for the Wiggles yeah. big red car and kind of, <laughs> um, I don't know, <laughs> play school. That's the emotional capacity yeah. I have yeah. in terms of music yeah. right now. I did see two goths dancing in the toilet paper aisle of the supermarket to Miley Cyrus's <laughs> Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, though. And now that just makes yeah. me happy. It's a different vibe. A different yeah. vibe. <laughs> But that. but I think there is power in music and absolutely. Um, and there is actually something beautiful about when you find a song that makes that triggers that deep emotion in you. Sometimes it can actually help you grieve. To just oh, dude, and it's and it's crazy. Listen. It's crazy to me. Like there's stuff that I don't even believe theologically at this point. Like I have no mental scholastic connection to these things yeah. like even on the most baseline level i do not believe these things but i'll hear those songs that have those principles or truths in them and there's yeah. something in me that still doesn't know how to not resonate emotionally with it. Yeah. Like, and i don't it's a really wild thing so when you say that there's there is something deep and emotional or spiritual about music it's wild the things that we can deconstruct from to use the term that's hashtagable to <laughs> deconstruct from mentally but not be able to deconstruct from them emotionally is mm. really really great and it's interesting to see i don't know if that's something that you've experienced oh yeah 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 and like i'm a very cerebral person i'm a nerd i love being a nerd um mm. and i can rationalize things until the cows come home yep. um and and i can i can do that but feeling and and really being in the fullness of the human experience it mm. can be difficult for me allowing myself to really feel the grief or feel the emotions or you know even feel the happiness to, to a certain level so you know mm. music has been powerful that way so so sure. tell me what you're doing with lost things band i've seen that you've actually put out an actual cd which is yeah. basically like a vinyl <laughs> these days i'm so excited i used to love cd covers they were the best part I about cds <laughs> i miss them so much i had so much fun like i i love 
I'm a bit of an analytical person too, so I enjoy reading. Um, mm-hmm. And I always loved getting to pair like the sonic experience with reading through lyrics in a lyric book and yes. notes and that sort of thing. Yes. I couldn't tell you why we actually printed CDs. I think we just did it as a, they're, I think they're more like of a souvenir type figure at this point. Like people, <laughs> I didn't think anybody would buy them. Everybody bought them. They always do. And so it's like, it's like buying a sticker at this point. It's just something you throw in the back of your car and never care about again. They're cheap to make. So yeah. So we put out the album um, and uh, COVID right now is a little weird. I don't know what it's like in Melbourne, um, mm. but in the States specifically, well, most of the States have been open for months and months at this point. They're kind of just wild and doing their thing, but California just opened up pretty much completely in the last little bit and if you're vaccinated you can kind of go to and from as you please maskless and stuff and so events have started popping up again and so we're in the process now of booking shows and doing all of that and (sighs) so i think we'll see what the the coming months look like we have our our first show booked um for august 7th which is only four or five weeks away i think and uh so i'm really interested to gauge kind of what the energy is like i've seen some posts of people doing events and things and it's hard to say um so we'll see what that looks like and then that'll kind of probably define what the next six months to 12 months on the calendar look like for us but that's just basically it we've got this new album out and we're promoting it and uh we've got some new stuff we're working on already and doing the podcast and all of that and uh how exciting see where it goes (laughs) yeah so lost things the podcast will launch soon Mm -hmm. yeah we're kind of backlogging some episodes right now and i'm going to start releasing those here in the next couple of weeks Excellent. And we can find you on Instagram is probably the best place, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Lost Lost Things Things Band on Instagram is the best way to find us right now. Excellent. Now do me a favor. Let your wife do a cameo. Cameo. I don't know if my wife would be willing to run over here at this point. Oh, no. She she doesn't have to do one now, but she has to do one while you're on tour. You have to let that woman get in front of an audience again. Done and done. Done (laughs) and done. (laughs) We'll just bring the boys. It'll be an experience. Look, if Pink can do it, you know, with with uh, Willow and Young, whatever the we make is. about as much money in streaming as Pink does, so we'll be fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll crush it. Anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan White from yeah. Lost Things Band, for being on Unchurchable. I'm Kit Kennedy, and as soon as I hit stop on this recording, we're going to start recording an episode where you interview me. So yes, that ma'am. should be fun. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, I'll catch you next time on Unchurchable.